I think I used to put so much pressure on what church was supposed to mean to me. Yeah, and you know, Hollywood could be a very, very lonely, lonely place. You're surrounded by so many different types of people with different motives and different goals. And I was struggling, and I was feeling alone, and I was feeling lost. Going down Hollywood and La Brea, we'd always see this all these people hanging out around 9 a.m. And I just saw people smiling all the time. <laughs> everybody just, happy. Everybody happy. It was like, whatever they're doing there, <laughs> they're doing it right, because you just see all the love coming out of everyone. I remember the first time we walked into church, and I was like, what? It was just so amazing. And then I realized, this is an amazing family, and they all believe in this church, and this is somewhere I want to be. It was just so effortless to connect. And when Pastor Irwin first talked about the church staying in the heart of Hollywood, it immediately spoke to me. Okay, this is why I've always wanted to live here, because I just love the idea of someone that's maybe never even heard of Jesus or can one day be walking down Hollywood and La Brea and see one of the baptisms and just say, man, what is that? And why are those people so happy? <laughs> We're here to stay because we want to be at a place where we can connect as a family. We can learn from others. They can learn from us. And this is a place that you can be forever. So you guys know we're in the middle of it right now. It's been an incredible few months as we've been trying to step into this impossible moment of purchasing this property here on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard in La Brea. And if you're, you're new here, this, this, is, this is kind of the heat of a moment for us. And, and I, I have to tell you, it's been an interesting journey for me. I, I, I've never really wanted to be in the middle of buying a huge property like this, and $20 million seems so overwhelming to me. And, and I, I, I don't know if I could take one more person coming up to me and saying, oh, 20 million, that's nothing. I go, yeah, it's what you gave, nothing. And that's why it's nothing to you. And see, I'm, I'm in a mildly caustic moment right now. And, and, and how many people have come up to me with all these beautiful cliches, you know, God's got that. It's, it's 20 million. It's nothing to God. And I know 20 million is nothing to God, but it's a lot to me. <laughs> and, and in the middle of all that, I've just been scrambling, you know, that, that mindset. Pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on, on you. So I've been praying like it all depends on God and working like it all depends on me. And I'm sort of in this moment where I'm going, okay, God, I'm doing my part. Anytime, anytime you want to show up and step into this moment, it would be incredible. You ever been in a moment where you felt like God was remaining anonymous? I mean, you, you know he's there, you believe he's there, you hope he's there, but he's just not showing up in any tangible way where you think, oh, this is proof that God exists. See, I think the reality is that, that most of us live in an experience where it seems as if God has chosen to remain anonymous. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments about what to do when God remains anonymous, when, when it seems as if God isn't showing up the way you think he should show up. And I started thinking about how the scriptures are so full of stories who's, of people whose lives are interwoven with God's. And it's almost as if their lives become inseparable from, from the story of God. Their story and God's story are interconnected in such a beautiful way. And, and then I started thinking about this one particular person in the scriptures. Her name is Hadassah. I'm sure you've heard of her. In fact, it's probably a waste of my time to tell you anything about her because you go, yeah. I've thought about Hadassah so many times. And uh, in fact, she's an inspiration to us all. And that's why we name our children Hadassah. There are so many girls here right now whose names are Hadassah. And, and maybe if I would just connect the dots, let you know Hadassah's other name is Esther. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Esther, I, I know that. But here's the curious thing about Esther. See, there's a book in the Bible called Esther. Wouldn't it be epic to have a book in the Bible named after you? That'd kind of be awesome. 
like the book of Jake or the book of Andres. <laughs> that, that'd be an epic book. That would be. Right? The, the book of Carlos. It would have a Puerto Rican accent. And, uh, <laughs> it would be so, I mean I, I mean, I would love that. It would be great to have the book of Irwin in there. And, and, but here's an odd thing. To, to get in the Bible, you would think that your story would have to be a story about God, right? Because how do you get in the Bible if you're not about God? But the entire book of Esther never mentions God one time. And, and I, I knew this, but you ever known something that you knew, but then you were not really sure if it was true? So I know this, but I went back and I, I rechecked and rechecked and rechecked. And I, I can tell you with all the confidence I have, and that's not always a lot of confidence, that, that that God has never mentioned the book of Esther. But and I'm thinking to myself, how in the world could a book get in the Bible without mentioning God? How could one of the most epic stories in the scriptures, one of the most epic moments in history, forget to mention God? Have you ever forgotten to mention God? Do you have people in your life that don't even know you believe in God? I just, I'm just throwing that in as, a, as an aside. That... that most of us know how to forget God in our lives. We forget to mention him in our story. Some of us have multiple stories. The story with God and the story without God. And in fact, there's some of you here, if people found out you were here, they'd be shocked. But imagine if your story was in the scriptures and you never mentioned God. How do you forget to do that? And that's when it hit me that, that Esther lived in one of those moments where it was as if God remained anonymous. And yet those who understood what God did in that moment knew that God was all over that story. It's like those moments where you feel like you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. Have you ever had those moments? I had one of those moments about a week ago. I mean, I just came back from Buenos Aires, but right before that, I was in Northern California, and I went up to Palo Alto to speak at a, at a community of faith, and, and I never go speak at other churches and, so, and I didn't really want to because I wanted to be here. And here we are in the middle of trying to raise $20 million. And, and we've got a long way to go. And I thought, I need to be back in L.A. And I thought to myself, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I made the commitment so long ago. I didn't want to break my word. And I, I wanted to fulfill that commitment. So I went. And, and I thought, why am I here even though they were amazing? And have you ever had that moment? You thought, I, I, there's no way I'm at the right place at the right time. I, I need to, to do things in my life. I have something that I must accomplish, and I, I'm off course. So I speak at this place, and I do this little book signing afterwards, and people coming up saying hi. And, 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 and then this guy came up to me, and, and he said, I, I, um, I understand you're trying to buy a property in a life with Mosaic. And I said, how do you know that? I never mentioned that. Because it wasn't really their issue. It wasn't their challenge. And and he goes, well, someone else mentioned it. I overheard it, and it struck me, and I, I just wanted to know more about it. And I said, yeah, I started this church called Mosaic. We're in L.A. We, we've been renting a property for eight years, and we have a window to buy it. And, and honestly, I don't even know why I was telling him that, because I looked at him, and he looked like he was, like, 16, you know. <laughs> but I look back now, and I realize he, he, he's Asian. And, 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 and when you're Asian, you kind of always look like you're 16, and then you die. And that's just the way it works. And you know it's true. And, and I realized later he's a full-grown adult with a wife and family and a career and an income. And, and, and he was asking me all these different questions about the project, but I felt a little uncomfortable telling him because I didn't want to pull him into our mission. And then he goes, is there any way I could follow up? And I don't know why, but I gave him my email address and my phone number. I know better than to do that. You just do not give strangers your phone number because then every crazy person in the world starts calling you up. And you don't know that? <laughs> and, and, but I, I gave him both and never heard from him again. Came back to L.A., and then we're, Kim and I, my wife and I, were on our way to Atlanta because we're going to the wedding of our um, incredible pastor, Jamar Brown King, and his wife, Kenzie, and they're right there. They just got back from their honeymoon. And so I'm at the airport, and we're about to board the plane, and my phone starts ringing, and it says, unknown caller, unknown. 
Do you, do you ever get those un, unknown callers? You know you're never supposed to answer that, right? I, I, I know, I know that I've disciplined myself, I've trained myself, do not answer unknown callers. It's always some Korean company or Chinese company speaking another language and, and, or something I don't want to hear about. So I do not answer unknown callers. But this time I just mesmerized me. <laughs> unknown, unknown. And I could just hear it calling me, step into the unknown. And, uh, and so I answered it. I don't know why I answered it. And I answered it. It was this guy that I'd met the week before in line at the book signing in Northern California. And he said, I, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit more. And I said, sure. And, and he said, well, what's your vision for LA? And what, what, what's on your heart? What do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you sense God is saying to you about this property? And he just kept digging in and digging in. This complete stranger asked me these really personal questions. And I was a little bit uncomfortable going, I'm letting this stranger interview me over the phone like this, but I did. And we just, he just kept asking and asking. I went deeper and deeper. And at the end of the conversation, he said, well, my wife and I, we, we'd really like to help. We're, we're not rich. I thought, well, why didn't you tell me that before you asked me all these questions? And, <laughs> and, and he said, but, but we, we really feel like we're supposed to do something. He said, my, my wife's a dentist, and I run her practice, and and we've been thinking about trying to buy the building where she practices dentistry, but maybe we want to help this. And I, and I thought, that's so kind. And it didn't matter what the gift was because the intention is so, so beautiful. It doesn't matter what you give. If it comes out of your heart and it's a genuine sacrifice, it's a beautiful thing. So we got on the plane, went to Atlanta, married off Jamar and Kenzie and and then they went off for a week where Jamar slept every day. And, uh, and, and then he contacted me. He said, how can I contact your general manager or whoever is in charge of your finances? And they did. And, and they contacted us. And he said, look, we're not rich, but we've been saving for 20 years. And for the last eight years, we've held an amount in a bank account waiting for God to tell us what to do with that. And we would like to give our life savings to here to stay. And I want to go, don't do it. <laughs> and, and, they, and they said, we want to give our small gift of $700,000 to Mosaic. <laughs> and, and these complete strangers that I had never met, I'd never even met his wife, have committed $700,000 for us to be here in this place to impact this city. And there I was thinking I was the wrong place at the wrong time and God had to realign my thinking to tell me, no, all I had was the wrong perspective. And you have this moment in the life of Esther and there's nothing romantic about this story. It's told in a romantic way, but it is not a romantic story. In fact, the opening of Esther, chapter one, verse one says this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes that ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. Now, whenever the story begins telling you this is the story of a king who was cruel and oppressive, who had a lust for violence and destruction, you're not in a good moment. You would think a story in the Bible would begin by telling you this is what God was doing, but it begins by saying this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. And what it's letting us know is that there is a story taking place that you would not want to be inside of. But I think what, what happens is so many of us don't realize that our, our life is really the relationship of so many different layers of stories. See, sometimes we think we're just in the story of us. Some of your stories are still really thin. They're just the story of you. And by the way, that's called narcissism. And when you only live in the story of you, your story is way too small and insignificant. And as you grow, you begin to realize, oh, no, you, you, you have the story of you, but the story of you is, is, is layered with the story of others that are connected to you. Some of you will one day be married. And you're going to go through a trauma because now you're going to be connected to someone whose story is supposed to become more important than your story to you. 
And whether he challenges is the one you have the story of you and you think someone is coming into the story of you and they think you're coming into the story of them. And so you have a really difficult time creating a deeper, more textured story because you're not willing to give up your story to find a higher story. And then eventually you have kids and you give birth to humans more selfish than you. And, and you don't know what happened to your story. And some of you will be traumatized because you feel like you lost your story for someone else's story. And then when you become a part of something bigger than yourself, a community, that story layers over. And, and I think it's amazing that a lot of people actually think that the story that we're in ends with Xerxes. I hear this all the time. And whatever your political position is or, or, or posture or perspective about society is, it's amazing how some people act as if the top of the story is, is Trump or they act like the top of the story is Obama or the top of the story was Bush or the top of the story was Clinton or the top of the story was Bush or the top of the story was Clinton. You act as if Xerxes is the top layer of the story, but I want you to understand, even when it's a moment where Xerxes is exerting his power on earth, God is already and still writing a greater story over that story. But sometimes it's hard to see it because all you see is what Xerxes is doing. You don't see what God is doing. So it begins by telling us this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Persian king the king of the Persians and the Medes who tried to conquer all the world and took slaves and concubines and oppressed every nation he could take hold of. It was during his rule. And in this story, there's Xerxes and his wife Vashti. Now Vashti, we are told, was beautiful. And in fact, it says she was extraordinary in her beauty and he loved showing off his wife now, I know that's hard for you to relate. You don't date people just so that you can feel better about yourself, right? Never. He loves showing Vashti off, so he throws this huge party. That's how the story begins. And she throws a huge party. And their two parties are going on at the same time. And so she's got her girls group happening, and, and, and he has his, 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 his men's party happening and and then he calls for his wife because he wants to show her off and she he wants her to dance in front of all the royals and nobles who are there and so he sends the messengers bring my wife queen vashti that i may show her off and she said not happening <laughs> she doesn't respond and so he sends a messenger again and she doesn't come can you imagine being the most powerful man in the world and your wife says yeah not coming See, marriages really have not changed that much in thousands of years. I can tell you that, that my wife is situationally deaf. When I'm calling her, she doesn't hear me. But when she calls me, I'd better hear her. If she doesn't come and he becomes furious, enraged, humiliated. And then it's interesting. The men are concerned that Vashti's refusal to respond to her husband, Xerxes the king, would cause a revolution of women not responding to their husbands. This is where it started. <laughs> so one of his counselors said, I have a better idea. Why don't you get rid of Vashti and pick a new queen? So they go and they enslave young women from every tribe and every people they conquered. This is not a romantic comedy. This is a tragedy. This is a description of a malevolent movement that would be called the sex trade today. And Esther was a victim of the sex trade. She was captured and brought in as a slave. And she was going to have two options. She was going to be an object of sexual pleasure to a king who will never know her name or she would become the queen of a king she did not love or want to be with. This was not a happy ending story. And so she's brought in, and, and for one year, they help her become more attractive to prepare herself for the moment the king will decide if he chooses her or not. It's a terrible moment when your best option is to be chosen 
by a violent king. And all the things that would have happened in her life, Esther was an orphan. Both of her parents were dead. She was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai raises her when he realized she's been taken as a concubine in this harem of the king. He helps her get trained so that she knows what to do when she stands in front of the king. And I do think it's interesting that, that in verse 7 of Esther chapter 2, it says that this young woman was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. That's so deep, isn't it? I mean, what the Bible's actually saying is Esther was hot, right? She was like an Instagram star. And, and, and I hear all the time in L.A., oh, I just, I hate it when people just, just objectify me. Well, then stop putting your photos on Instagram. All right, there's a reason why you're being objectified. And I'm talking to the guys. I mean, how many washboard stomachs can you really see? And... I'm deeper than that. <laughs> Stop acting like you're miserable because you're so attractive. All right, because it, it really nauseates the rest of us. Oh, yes, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> it must be horrible for everyone to just be attracted to your looks. <laughs> Such a painful process for them to finally see your inner beauty. And uh, like... They got to go with inner beauty on me right up front. And let me tell you, that's not as easy as you think. It says she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Mordecai had taken her as his own when her father and mother died. And then the day came where she had to go in front of the king. And the king saw her and was mesmerized by her. And he chose her as his wife. And this is still not a romance. This is still a tragedy. And I want you to realize that this is one of those moments for everyone in the story where it would seem as if God was not there. And so it doesn't surprise me that as they write the story, they never mention the name of God because where exactly were they going to write God's name in the story? And I want you to realize just because you cannot see how God is working in your life, it doesn't mean that God is absent from your life. Just because you feel like you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, it may be that God just needs to change your wrong perspective and help you see what he's doing in the middle of all the pain and all the tragedy and all the suffering that you're in. So the story continues. You ever had a bad moment and you thought to yourself, it can't get worse than this? And then it does? This is what happens. It just cannot get worse than this. And then there's this guy named Hammond, and he has this strategy. He wants to wipe out all the Jews. And so he goes to Xerxes and convinces him that he needs to wipe out this entire race of people. And he, and he tells the king, I'll even pay for it. The king says, keep your money, just wipe them out. And this was going to be a, a holocaust that would wipe out this people in entirety. And when Mordecai hears about it, he, he, he mourns and he tears his clothes and, and, he, and he goes into distress. And then Esther hears about it and wants to know what's going on. And then Mordecai says to her, you need to go to the king and convince him not to do this. And, and Esther says, you don't understand. I don't get to choose when I go to the king. It's not like that. This is not like king, queen, love affair. This is not Romeo and Juliet. This is Xerxes and Esther. I'm powerless in front of him. I'm his slave, not his lover. He says, you need to go in front of him. You're the queen. You need to exert the power of being the queen. You didn't want that position, but you have it. Now you need to own it. You need to step into it. And I wonder how many things God has already established in your life that you have not stepped into because you did not expect them to come to you. She steps into God's presence. Oh, no. That's the way we think the story's supposed to go. She doesn't step into God's presence. She steps into the presence of a man who thinks he's God. And, and, she, and she tells him before she does, I, I can't go into his presence without him calling me. Because if I go into his presence, he'll kill me. My life will be over and and Mordecai basically says to her, your life is going to be over one way or the other. And if you think you're going to survive this, if you don't act in this moment, you're mistaken. 
And she finally relents. And, and there's a famous declaration that I want to read to you. It's in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And I imagine some of you are familiar with that. Mordecai looks at Esther and says to her, if you remain silent at this time, and the reason this is if you remain silent is that Esther never told Xerxes she was a Jew. She hid who she was from him because she knew it would be the end of her. He says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. It's such an interesting perspective. What he's saying is, look, God always finds a way to protect his people. God always finds a way to pull us out of tragedy and suffering. Every time we think that our lives are over, every time we think there is no future for us, God always finds a way to give us a future and a hope. So I want you to know, Esther, that God is going to find a way. If you do nothing, if you remain silent, if you never step up or show up, God's going to find someone with the courage and the resolve to do it if it's not you. But who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I wonder if God has called you into something so extraordinary. But it's also so terrifying. And I don't want to be the person that one day looks back on my story and God begins to help me understand the nuances of my life and say, this was your moment, but you didn't step into it. This was the moment I prepared for you to see my power, but you did not step into it. This is the moment I was going to use you to do so much good in the world, but you refused to step up. So I used someone else. I'm convinced of this in my life. I am convinced that so many of the times God has chosen to use me, it's because someone else simply didn't step into their moment. And Mordecai says, but you might want to consider that perhaps... You were created for this moment. That you're in this place for such a time as this. Why does God have you here right now? Why are you in this moment? Have you ever felt so displaced like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Have you ever felt like you're in the wrong job? Have you prayed, God, give me a new job, a different job, a, d a better job, God. Have you ever just prayed, God, get me out of here? And nothing happened? God remained anonymous? Is it possible that God is not going to move you to a new job until you let him move you in your old job? See, is it possible that if you're not where you want to be, that you're exactly where God needs you to be? And that instead of asking God to give you an escape hatch to get out of the, the pressure cooker of your life, you should say, God, I don't want you to change my circumstances. I want you to change me. I don't want to leave any place until God can say to me, you've done everything you're supposed to do. See, I, I wish I could tell you we're going to buy this property, that we're going to be here. I don't know. But I can tell you this. They're not moving me until I know we've done everything we're supposed to do to stay here. Because I've always, I've always prayed to God, God, if I don't have the courage, would you raise someone up who does? If I don't have the vision, God, would you raise someone else that does? Because there's some things in life that are so important, you need to pray that God uses someone if you never have the courage to be used. So many things happening in this world. So much brokenness, so much injustice, so much poverty, so much suffering. You ever just wondered, God, where are you? Why do you choose anonymity? 
And as I read the story, I realize that the names I see are Xerxes and, and Mordecai and Esther. But all over the stories of their lives are the fingerprints of God. And, and I wonder how many times in our lives we think God isn't there because we don't see him in the people who are standing there. See, so oftentimes in our lives, the way God shows up is by sending people to show up in his place. There are a lot of people who give, and they always say, I want, I want my gift to be anonymous. But I always know who they are, because they have to sign the check. <laughs> and they remain anonymous to everyone else, but you always know who signed the check. I, I wonder how many of us have been acting as if God is anonymous. Wouldn't it be odd, instead of, since we're not comfortable saying God, you go, wow, today was amazing. It was a gift from Anonymous. I just, I just got that promotion. Thank you, Anonymous. She finally broke down and said, yes, she'd go out with me. Oh, Anonymous, you're so good. Oh, we don't usually use the word Anonymous. That would be kind of odd, right? We just use the word Universe. Because I hear all the time, oh, the universe has been so good to me. In fact, I saw it this week. Someone said, don't strive to create your future. Let the universe bring it to you. <laughs> I know this is a heartbreaker. But the universe has never thought one minute about you. Just hasn't. I, now, now, don't get me wrong. That, that's a good thing, too, because... Like, what about if, like, the universe thought, I don't like his face. No, I, I'm just going to absolutely wreck his life. It would be terrible. Sometimes, don't you feel like the universe is against you? But the universe is never against you. And the universe, though it is not for you, is completely leveraged for you. Because God is the anonymous behind the universe. And so if you feel like the universe has been really good to you, I want you to realize God signed that check. See, the reason you can breathe this oxygen and it gives you life is because God signed that check. He just never left his name on the oxygen. See, the, the, the reason that the, the gravitational force of this planet works exactly right, not to crush you like a gnat, not to leave you floating into space, but just perfectly so that you can't dunk a ball. <laughs> it is because God loves you so much. He created this perfect environment. He just didn't sign the check in a way that you could see it. And so you think it's anonymous. And, and I keep hearing people thanking the universe. You should not thank the universe. You should thank the God who created the universe. So just a couple of quick thoughts, because um, oh, by the way, the way the story ends is that Esther goes in front of the king and stands on behalf of her people, even though it could end her life. And his heart is turned toward her. I don't think Xerxes ever imagined a day where this young Jewish girl could stand before this powerful king and change his heart and change his mind. And she saved all of her people. And then I thought, okay, that's when they thank God, right? Because that, that, that's what we need to do, right? That's, that's where you write a little section. And by the way, God did all this. Because people always say, obviously, thank you. And they go, don't thank me, thank God. It wasn't me, it was God. It looked like you. <laughs> I think it was you. But God's been writing on your heart. And so you're writing a story with God in it. At the end of Esther, it says Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. He, he became the most powerful man besides the king. Preeminent among the Jews, held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke for the welfare of all the Jews. Because he lived his life for others and not for himself. And then I had to stop. God's sneaky. Sometimes he drops his name in ways you don't know. Like my name, Raphael, it actually means the Lord is my healer. So whenever you see an L, you know God's in there, like Michael, Rachel, 
Kal-El. <laughs> Think about it. Written by a Jewish guy, too. It's not an accident. The name of God is usually imprinted on so many of those names. So I thought Esther, maybe, maybe her name is the way God got his name in. And I looked it up, and her name means star. Uh, great. Mordecai becomes a hero, and Esther becomes a star. That's the last thing we need here, one block away from the star's walk of fame, where everyone thinks having a star is the pinnacle of life. But you see, here's the thing. A lot of us have been taught that if you become a hero, if you become a star, if you do something that matters in the world, if someone knows your name, you have stolen glory from God, and God doesn't seem to be at all concerned about you stealing his glory by doing good in the world. God wants to write a story in your life and through your life. And he wants people who think he's anonymous to see his name written on your hearts so that you become the signature of who he is. But a lot of us, we, 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 we're still trapped in our own lives and we still think it's still about us. And so you just need to stop and ask yourself, why am I where I am right now? Does God have me here because he needs me to step into this moment? He wants me to be his proof of life, his presence wherever I am. So instead of complaining about where you are right now, how about stepping into that place right now and say, God, I'm going to do everything I can to reflect who you are. Maybe you need to ask, who's in my life right now? If you can't see God, you need to start looking and seeing people. You know, I think it's so funny. I have so many people, especially when you're young and single, and I have some people, oh, I just don't know what God wants for my life. I don't, I don't know if it's her or him. I, don't, I, 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 I just need clarity. I need wisdom. You ever just been in that place? God, just tell me what to do. No? Yeah? God, just tell If you just tell me, God, I'll do it. And then God sends like eight people into your life, and they all give you the same advice, and, and you're like, get out of my face. Who do you think you are? You don't know me. Look, if you are asking for advice from people more messed up than you, that's where you're going. You need to be looking for people who are healthy because healthy people give healthy advice. You need to ask who's in your life. Esther had Mordecai. And Mordecai spoke into her life and called her to a higher level of life. He called her to her most heroic self. Stop running from the people who keep challenging you and calling you to greatness. Don't run from the people who tell you you're more than that. Who call you out of being a coward. Who call you out of compromise. Who call you out of apathy. Who call you out of the status quo. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are filled with apathy, who are not driven to make a difference in this world, who are self-indulgent and self-absorbed, that's who you will become. Esther had one person calling her out and calling her up, and it was because of Mordecai that she stood in front of Xerxes, and the entire people of Israel had a future and a hope. Who's in your life right now? that you need to be listening to and, and maybe speaking into. And then just need to ask the question, what needs to be done? Have you ever just said, God, why don't you do something? Have you ever just been frustrated? God, where are you? Don't you see this problem? You need to do something about this. I think it's so interesting that even if we think God is God, we talk to God as if we're God. We tell God what he needs to do. We act as if God is completely unaware of the issues in the world. Is it possible that when you're telling God what he should do, the reason you're so passionate about it is because it's exactly what God told you to do. And you're trying to displace that responsibility that he put on you back on him. See, I think Esther could have said, God, you need to do something. You need to step into it and talk to Xerxes. You need to do something with this king. You need to do something, God, with this declaration of murder, God. You need to act. And God says, I did do something, Esther. How do you think you got into the position you're in? 
for such a time as this. About two weeks ago, we met with this, this amazing funding group who has um, been talking to us about lending us $10 million so we can get closer to buying this property. It's incredible. And in the middle of the conversation, actually, it was just a group of us, and, and, and my son Aaron was not supposed to be in that room. He, he, was, he happened to be on campus, and I said, hey, would you come say hello? And I know he, he doesn't really like long meetings like this, but he said, just, just come say hi. I think it'd be important for you to come. And he came and got sucked into the room, and then I made sure there was no way out, and, and he stayed in the room for the whole meeting. And, and what I thought was so interesting is that whenever they're asking me questions, a high percentage of the time, they didn't look at me. They looked at Aaron. And I, and I realized as we we're having this conversation that you were more interested in, in hearing from Aaron. And, and I realized, oh, it's because they think I'm so old, I'm going to be dead soon. And they're trying to figure out what's going to happen when I'm dead. If they lend us $10 million, who's going to pay that baby back? And I, I get it because the guy is here. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's a beautiful thing. He came back the very next week or so to visit with us with his wife. But one of the things that I learned was in this moment of conversation, I can't remember who it was, um, said, so if I understand correctly, if you guys don't buy this property, it, it's not going to go well for Mosaic. And, and before I could answer or Pastor Joe could answer or or Elisa could answer, Aaron jumped right in. It's almost as if you set him on fire. And he said, no, no, that's not right. If we do not buy this property, Mosaic will be fine. Mosaic's resilient. Mosaic's done this before. We've been all over the city. We've been to so many different locations. If we don't buy this property, Mosaic will be, will be fine. If we don't buy this property, Hollywood will not be fine. And, See, and the real question is, what needs to be done? What, what, where are you standing right now that you think God needs to do something, and God has already positioned you to do that something, but you haven't stepped up into that responsibility? So one day you're going to look back and say, God never showed up, and God said, I kept trying to show up through you. We are the proof of God in this world. Right now, my wife Kim is in Malawi with Pastor Joe Smith, and our team is there. And, and I think it was yesterday, or I, I got a notice that Malawi is in political turmoil. Did you see that, Beck? Your husband is in the middle of a country with political unrest and governmental instability, and she's pregnant with their third boy. And, 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 and did you even think about the thought that, you know, you might be raising these boys without Joe? And, and here she is praying earnestly. And... Uh, and because there's turmoil, and, we're, and then Crystal's husband, Austin, was supposed to leave, and I got this email and text, and it said, political turmoil, should Austin come? And then I saw Kim's text, of course he should come. And so off your husband goes, and he's on his way to Malawi. And, and, and what I love about that is, is that that's what we're supposed to do. And I've had so many people ask me this odd question. You're trying to raise $20 million. Why are you doing all these other things still? Why are you going to Malawi to work with people there? And in two weeks, we have a team going to Lebanon. Why, why, are you going, why are you still going to Lebanon to work with Syrian refugees there? They have this one family that had been displaced by ICE, and their children was taken away as they came here illegally from Guatemala. And they were separated at the border. It took almost a year for them to come back together as a family. And we've adopted that family. And we're trying to help that family. Someone actually asked me, why are we helping the Guatemalan family when we're trying to raise $20 million? I want to be so clear. We've always done this. Because we asked the question, what needs to be done? If Jesus was here right now, what would Jesus be doing? And that's what we do. We would never buy this property at the cost of serving humanity and making the world a better place. We're buying this property so that for generations to come, the church can be proof of God because for so many people, God is still anonymous. 
And so I think it's for such a time as this that you were created. I think it's for such a time as this that you were brought into this world and brought to Los Angeles and are in this place right now. Because when God remains anonymous and people feel desperately alone and they feel so frustrated because they're trying to find God and he just doesn't seem to be anywhere, the clearest way to see God is in the compassion of another human being. You want to look into the eyes of God? Look into the eyes of someone who knows his love and loves you because of that. You're supposed to be that face, that voice, those hands. For some of you, it's the smallest thing. It's that person who just decided to hug you and welcome you. And you felt the embrace of God in that moment. Someone asked you your name and took a moment to care about you. In that moment, you realized that you were not invisible, but that God sees you, that you matter. It shouldn't surprise us that the story of Esther is standing, risking her life so that others could live, because that's the story of Jesus. Except with Jesus, it cost him his life. Because God stepped into human history for you and for me, for us. He took on flesh and blood, and they called him Jesus, which means Savior. And he lived a, a beautiful, perfect life. He was the pure expression of love. And we could not, we could not contain his love, and we despised it. And so we killed him. And when Jesus died on the cross... He didn't do it for his fame. He did it for your freedom. God doesn't need to do anything else to be more famous. He doesn't need to do anything else to be more deserving of glory. God is just moved by love. And he just refuses to give up on you and on me. And maybe you're here in this moment, and God has been anonymous to you. Maybe you, you've called him the universe. And it finally makes sense that God has stepped into space and time. That God's name, when we don't know him, is just God. But when he turns around and we see his face, we realize his name is Jesus. There's some of you here right now. It's time to cross the line of faith and open your life to Jesus, to give him your life so that you can receive his life in you. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment and just close your eyes. The fingerprints of God are all over your life. He's always been so close. Just a breath away, waiting for you, waiting for you to open your life to him. If you're here right now and you, know, you don't have to have all the answers, you just have to know that you need God. You have to know that, that God has stepped into history for you, that he died on the cross for you, that Jesus is here, and he loves you. And he wants to set you free. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you a future. And if you're here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now. It's just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. It's just where you need to start right now. Right now, would you pray this prayer if you're ready to give your life to Jesus? Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Just tell him right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus gave his life for you. 
is just waiting to put that life in you. And right now, if you just pray this prayer and open up your life to him, Jesus, I give you my life. This is the moment where the relationship begins. This is the moment that the future begins for you. This is the moment you move from death to life. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here and this is your prayer, this is your longing. If you're here and you whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to pray for you right now. If that's you, I want you right now just to hold your hand up high. Don't hesitate. Don't be embarrassed. Just hold it up high. If this is you, if you just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just hold it up. I want to see you. Beautiful. Anyone else right now? All around the room. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. So good. Father, I thank you for the women and men who in this moment have crossed that line of faith, have given their lives to you. I pray that right now, God, you would just wrap them up in your love and let them know that they belong to you and you will never leave them or abandon them. I pray, God, they would receive your forgiveness, that you would just wash away all the guilt and shame that maybe has held them back and has suffocated them. God, I thank you that this is the beginning of a new life, of a new future. And I thank you, Jesus, that today is a new start to a future that will never end. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who just responded to him right now? So good. So good. And by the way, one of the things that I learned from this funding organization is that our loan is based on the, um, the strength of our weekly giving. And so you may be hearing like, man, I don't have 700,000 to give. I don't have 7,000 to give. But one of the things you can do, what all of us can do, one is if you've never established a pattern of giving, this is the time to start giving. Go to the Mosaic app and put recurring giving. And I don't care where you start, Start becoming a recurring giver and be a part of what God is doing here. And if you're here and you give regularly, you can go from giving 5% to 10% or 10% to 15%. I want to encourage everyone who's a part of Mosaic to take some time and pray this week and go, okay, this is what I've been giving, but I'm going to step up. I'm going to be serious. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give more than I thought I ever would. And if we all do that together, we will be able to increase what we give together, and we'll be able to increase what we can actually receive as a loan and what we can carry as a mortgage. And this is just real stuff. This is adult conversation. This is how you do the hard work. We can always want God to provide a miracle from the outside, but honestly, I don't want God to provide a miracle from the outside if we're not providing sacrifice from the inside. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.